0: Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend, and in this podcast, I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures, as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries, and how they keep healthy, happy, and sane. She was born and raised on a farm in the UK and Squash Faulkner is now a record-breaking adventurer, speaker and presenter. She combines her love of different sports and was the first British woman to climb and paraglide from the summit of Mont Blanc, having ridden there from the UK on her motorbike. She has climbed many, many mountains around the world, including Everest and Aconcagua, in 2013, she completed a 3,000 mile journey on an elliptical setting a new distance record for travel by elliptical bicycle. In 2014, she rode 3,000 miles through South America on a BMW motorbike presenting an adventure travel documentary and we discussed that in the show. She's super passionate about sharing her adventures. She has a really Great outlook on life. And we actually discuss quite a lot in the interview, things that I've talked about with my sort of, I would call them my mountain guests before the freedom that you feel the power within yourself when you've achieved something really great that you didn't think you could. There's so much in here. We talk about her becoming a mum. She ended up being a single mum in the NICU for six weeks and how she used her experience managing an expedition on Everest in order to keep herself organized and able to look after her tiny baby so that she could survive. We had a really great chat. She's very inspiring. She's very down to earth. And it's just, it's not just about the big adventures. It's about life and how pushing yourself can show you what you're really capable of in the day-to-day stuff. Enjoy. Hi Squash. Thanks for joining me. How are you? Hi, Katie. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Good. Not so bad at all. Although I'm very sad because I thought spring was here last year, last week, and now it's raining again.
1: Oh, it's, it's still very much here in the UK. It's a beautiful sunny day.
0: <sighs> oh, well, yeah, thanks. Yes, yeah. <laughs> now <laughs> yeah, so we're having typical alpine uh, spring weather, which I'm, I know you're very familiar with, that sort of neck of the woods. Yes, yeah.
1: I love it. We um, are certainly missing the mountains at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, thank you for coming on. It's so really exciting because, like, we just sort of crossed each other on on uh, Instagram, almost kind of thing. And I was like, "Do you fancy it?" And you were like, "Yeah." And so now here you are. So that's yeah. really good. Oh, it was a pleasure. Yeah, I heard
1: one of your interviews. Um, I saw your it was shared, and I just I listened to it and I thought it was brilliant, and I just obviously liked it. And then and then you got in touch, and I was delighted.
0: Yeah, so that was really cool, because I think it was Elspeth Beard you heard me interview, is that right? That's right, yeah. She she posted it on
1: her Instagram, and I saw it, and I thought, oh, I'll have a little listen to that.
0: Yeah, because she's a bit of a legend.
1: Oh, she's amazing. Kit's middle name is actually Elspeth, after her. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's really <laughs> nice, isn't it? She's. I met her in 2016, I think, and um, mm-hmm. I just thought, she what, what a woman. Yeah. And her name was just fabulous. And I, I wasn't, I was originally not, I wasn't sure if I was going to give Kit a middle name. And mm-hmm. um when we were talking about it, I said, oh, if there's any, if we are going to go for a middle name, the only other name i really like is Elspeth," And it was, that was it. It was set.
0: And so what is it that you loved about her? I mean, I know what I love, but what is it? Because I know you're also a bike rider yourself. What is it that sort of inspired you about her? I think her story's just so incredible I mean I've done
1: a uh, compared to her not a lot but some travel on on bikes and I think she she was the first British woman wasn't she to ride around the world Mm. on a motorbike but back in the 80s which Mm. is just an amazing thing to do but then I met her and then I kind of found out more about her and the, the more that you learn about her the more amazing she is I think and she's just an absolutely lovely person and I just thought wow what what an incredible person to be named after and a strong woman for kit to kind of look up to and maybe you know, get some
0: inspiration from in her life yeah that's amazing so you talking of uh, strong women to look up to i saw you posted a thing about mother's day i was looking through your instagram and just you i think you've had some strong influences in your life in that way yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I've got um, an older sister and she's an incredibly strong woman. And, you know, my mother and my grandmother, it was obviously when you're younger, it's, I think it's, it's immediate family, isn't it? And friends. Mm. So I was incredibly fortunate, really, that my, my immediate, immediate family were, were incredibly strong and, and can, have continued to be. And then as I've kind of gone on, I've met more and more women. But it just seems the more you get out in life, the more people you meet, and especially now I'm a mother. I mean, every mm-hmm. every single mother. Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a gig, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so you you're quite adventurous as a child, though, and that was sort of actively encouraged by the looks of the sort of videos and things that I've seen.
1: Yeah, well, I, um, I grew up on a farm. And so mm. I was outdoors a lot. You know, there was a lot of animals. There was a lot of farm machinery. There was a lot of stuff going on. So I'd, I'd say I was quite adventurous from that point of view. And um, my mum's brother was quite a bit younger than her and he was on the farm. So I was very close to him. So he was kind of in his teenage years when I was born. So he wasn't mm. he was quite kind of um, larry and daring with us, I suppose, because of because of his age. Yeah. Um and I think that played a, a massive role when I was younger, and and obviously on the farm, you know, we had quad bikes, motorbikes, that sort of thing. So I was kind of, mm-hmm. I was very much a tomboy, yeah. In, and under under his wing, um. So so uh, yeah, I guess that was the adventure bit in the beginning, and then when I was twelve or thirteen, I started my Duke of Edinburgh's award at school, and that's, oh, yeah. that's when I did the k- camping and hiking. Mm. Um. And so yeah, it kind of went from there, and then at eighteen, I went to do a ski season. And so the outdoors really did become a, a huge part of my life. And that's when mountains were kind of introduced to me. And, and again, a whole different set of people doing adventurous stuff that I'd, I'd never even heard about. You know, like climbing mountains and all that sort of thing was very much something other people did. It wasn't in the family. It wasn't something that ever crossed my mind. But when I, when I was 18 and I went out to the Alps and I met a whole different breed of people, I suppose, that's when it,
0: it opened my eyes to it. Where did you first go for that first season? Um, I went to Les Arques in France. Ah, okay. Mm. and Because and, it is a really different life. I mean, you know, coming here, I'd come from a fairly sort of mountainous family, I guess. My dad was a big mountaineer, but like oh, wow. just to suddenly live in a, yeah, he's a, he's a the last attempt at Kincagua when he was 69. Wow! So he, he, I know, oh, not bad. Really <laughs> I think the closest he's got, I think he, he never made the summit, but I think he's been like 200 meters from the summit. So I'm pretty the sure that night. that counts. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, because, you know, various things, whether uh, once he had to be carried off on a donkey because he had pneumonia, uh, you know, kind of, you know, pretty gnarly oh, wow. stuff. How many times they um, done on it then? Three times wow. he attempted it last time when he was 69 and then he said no that's I'm done but he did I mean like things like he did the Matterhorn for his 60th birthday and things <laughs> like you know he's like a bit of a mountain guy yeah. but I had kind of never really followed in his footsteps so I, I even yes. though I had yeah. that background I totally get what you mean when you come to sort of a mountain resort you're like whoa look at all these gnarly people doing really gnarly stuff and you sort of like a bit like you well you know you kind of it's either it's sort of uh, if you can't beat them join them type thing <laughs> And I didn't go as far as Everest, but yeah, you sort of, I I love that. You sort of interviewed somebody the other day who was calling it big life because suddenly they were in this like life surrounded by unbelievably incredible people doing amazing things. Yeah.
1: And I think when you're, when you're surrounded by it and you're saying it, it it stops, It's not that it's not amazing, but it's not got the sort of wow, amazing, untouchable factor. It becomes normal. So when everyone around you is kind of going off and doing that, and then they perhaps show you the way, it's not unobtainable anymore. It's not mythical or magical. It's like, oh, this is how I do that.
0: Yeah. And you understand the sort of small steps towards it, you know, doing a little bit of ski touring out the back door. Then it's like the first time you put on crampons. And then, you know, there's a, and I found, I, I don't know about you, but sort of, you know, you would, I would get scared witless. And then the next time you'd be like, oh, oh yeah, not so scary this time. Yeah, absolutely. So where did you go from there? So you did your first ski season and then you sort of decided that mountain climbing was a Bit more of your a, a thing? Not really. No, I did a ski no. season, and I I got my glimpse,
1: my first glimpses of Mont Blanc, and used to think, wow, people climb that. But still, that was <laughs> still something other people did. But I met a group of friends who mm. did adventure races, adventure endurance oh, races. Yes. So they were running and cycling and kayaking and doing all these things and and I out of all like I was fairly sporty but more outdoorsy than specifically Mm -hmm. you know one thing and but I I had quite a good endurance I did a bit of cross-country running at school and um they asked me to join them on their adventure racing team so Mm -hmm. I did a bit of training and I I did that and I did a 36 hour endurance adventure race with them and that was kind of the first big thing and that was in Mm. I think I was 19 or 20 when I did that with them. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time experiencing pushing myself beyond where I thought was possible. Because during the 36 hours of the race, there's four of you in the race, and at any one mm-hmm. time, three of the career, you have to be racing. And I'd had my eight hours off, and I was in for the last eight hours. And the final mm-hmm. part of it was the 30 mile fell run. And Oof. I was like, I've never even, you know, I hadn't run that distance or anything. Obviously, I'd been training, but I was just like, I can't do this. And obviously, I just kept going, kept going, and with my team, and we kept pushing, and I kept thinking, well, I'm still here, I'm still going, and and I really, I, I thought, this is it, I've, I've hit the wall, and I, I experienced, I thought, everything's going to stop here, like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't take another step, and then I did, and I kind of mm. went through it, and I was, there, there was a really different feeling inside, and I remember coming out the other side of that thinking, wow. You know, I'd obviously heard people talk about that, but that was my first yeah. experience of pushing beyond my comfort zone and where I thought my limits were. And so that was really quite a powerful moment. And then some months later, um, even a year or so later, I was with that same group of friends and they were they'd already climbed Kilimanjaro and they were making plans to climb on actually <laughs> and we were they were chatting about it and I said oh, I'd love to do something like that and they said squash why don't you come and I was like well I can't do that and they said of course you could you you've, you've got the fitness and we've got the skill and you if you're with the right team of people you know we'll, we'll help you and we'll make sure you're okay and why not and I said okay then so so that was how it began so I set off to climb on with those guys and that, and that was the beginning of mountains
0: and it it became quite a journey, like not just Akincagua itself. But I mean, how did it... I want to come back back, back to the sort of where you've been since Akincagua in terms of mountains. But how did it feel? Because it's quite, you know, as I've said, I have a, a secondhand knowledge of It's You know, it's, it's a it's a fairly dangerous one on the list. I think, you know, some people, lots of people don't come back from Aconcagua. How did it feel? What were the challenges? What did it feel to get to the top?
1: Um, I think I was just... I didn't... <laughs> I didn't really feel the danger of it. I mean, obviously, mm. I, I took the risk seriously. So because I knew about the risk, I I kind of prepared myself. And, and I suppose I felt safe because I'd Prepared for that, if that makes sense. You know, the mm-hmm. amount of training I was going with the, the team that I was going with, um, and I was just I was excited about it. And I think the other thing was I didn't put any pressure on myself to reach the top because I was fully aware that a lot of people don't through no fault, mm. fault of their own is it's uncontrollable. You know, it was it was always a bonus if you got to the top.
0: Mm-hmm. And I was
1: just having such a great time with my friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I was so excited to travel to South America, yeah, um, and to go to the mountain. You know, it was a it was a whole new experience from that point of view and the gear the equipment, equipment you know the hike into the mountains massive it's absolutely beautiful and I was very much taking it one day at a time and enjoying myself mm. and then I, I you know I was doing quite well on the mountain and I was just I suppose there's a I, I was confident in my ability and I was listening to myself and then then things did get quite tough but I I I was never on my own on the mountain and one one it was on the summit push, on the morning of the summit push, mm. I was absolutely exhausted and I remember kind of stumbling to my knees a bit and I just thought, This is you know, I'm so tired and and I'm I'm so cold and but this actually feels really comfortable just here. So I kind of snuggled up on the side of the path. I <gasps> say snuggled up and it was all rocky. And yeah. I, miles and I just I just felt this unbelievable comfort and I thought I'm just gonna go to sleep. I'm just so tired so one of my friends who I was with slapped me around the face she um, <laughs> she she like shook me she gave me some water some food and she was like you can't sleep here you can't sleep here and I was like just leave me just leave me I'm fine and she kind of brought me around and snapped me out of it and, oh, and no. I set off again but yeah that was a real kind of you, you know you can't do that on mountains but I was just no. like I'm tired I'm gonna have a rest and obviously I was with my team so I didn't stop and they got me going again and then and that's when I you know I really pushed and and that last part of the summit was tough and it was you know there, it was windy it was cold it was all those things but I just one step at a time and then and then the kind of the summit was in sight and we were within our kind of turnaround time and and I started to realize we're going to make this and I just had to mm. pace myself and well the team were pacing me really mm-hmm. and and it was just it, it was amazing getting to the top um but obviously we still had to get back down but it was it was euphoric it was just incredible and and so I, obviously it was, it was massive um in terms of pushing myself but Mm. Uh, it it just felt wonderful and and I got back down and I was with my friends and and it was brilliant and it's interesting looking back on that mountain because it was my first expedition I hadn't really taken into account how to look after myself on the mountain Mm. you know in the run-up to the summit push you know just general day-to-day stuff like keeping yourself clean and comfortable I think before I went to that peak there's a lot of kind of there was a lot of I suppose men that I'd seen climb mountains and Mm. they all kind of grow beards, let themselves go, talk about not (laughs) having a shower, talk about not changing their clothes. So I didn't really question that. I just went along thinking that's what you did. You don't keep yourself too clean because you can't and you don't change your clothes because you can't and, you know, all these other things. And then actually, I was like, you you can have your home comforts a little bit. You know, you can wash Mm. yourself, you can keep yourself clean, you can look after yourself. So it was on mountains after that that I started to take my luxuries, which is like, multiple pairs of underwear you know I was I was cleaning myself I was looking after myself and and I actually realized that there's a better way to do this
0: and what difference does that make to your overall experience then well, it just made a huge difference. You know, when we went to the next mountain after
1: that was Mustagata and there was one particular day we were all hanging around at base camp and it was really funny. We were all discussing how many pairs of underwear we'd got and everyone was like four, <laughs> four five, six. And I was like, yeah, I've got 28. And they were like, what? <laughs> I was like, 28? And this, this guy to me said, what do you think you did? I said, well we're here for 28 days aren't we and I was like you know I just decided it's so small it was such a little luxury to have. And I said back at home I don't know about you but when I open my knicker drawer in the morning I'm like oh you know how does the day feel which pair do I like and, it, and it's it's like it's a very small thing but it sets me up right for the day I'm, I'm gonna I'm just gonna take all my underwear on the mountain with me and it was just really funny and and do you know what it made me feel good and I I kind of looked after myself and And I just think that the better condition you can be in throughout your Mm. conditioning time on the mountain, the better your chance of doing well on the mountain. So it's all part of looking after yourself.
0: Well, I think you're right. I I, I agree. I've never been in that sort of mountain situation. But, you know, doing ultramarathons or, you know, kit management and the little routines that you have go such a long way to getting you, as you say, in the right frame of mind, to getting you, uh, you know, Everything else, you know, if the tiny look after little tiny things and then the sort of you feel good. It becomes part of your system, doesn't
1: it? Exactly. And I think the other thing that I learned on the later mountains was I was noticing my own system but also other people's. And Mm. when you're in a team, it's really good to have an eye out on what other people's system is, because one of the signs that somebody's not doing so well. Uh is that they're kind of, they're losing their We had a Yeah, we had a guy who, it was always immaculately turned out. Honestly, it was so, it was just a running joke. He came out of his tent smelling of aftershave. He'd always <laughs> got a bunch of teeth. He was just immaculate. And then one day, he kind of came out looking a bit rough. He'd stopped shaving. You know, mm. he was smelling a little bit more than normal. And I was like, there's something wrong with him. And anyway, he did get really ill. And we ended up, you know, getting him off the mountain. But we kind of all had it on our radar.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, actually, because funnily enough, I met my husband uh, doing an adventure race. He was racing and I was support crew and he oh, was fantastic. racing. I, yeah, I didn't know him, but uh, we were introduced by my oldest friend and I'd known her my whole life. And I was we were about 30 at the time. And it that is that's when I knew something was got up with her because she you know is always from when we were kids was always the first out up done right let's do this that and the next thing everything organized and she just started like oh I can't be bothered and I don't really want to eat and uh and I was like whoa (laughs) something is really wrong and sure enough I had to like put her to bed and like yeah yeah, anyway so no that's a really good I'd never really thought of it like that but it's only when you said that that gave me a flashback
1: sometimes we do things and we don't even know we're doing it like yeah I think very I mean in everyday life subconsciously we do get used to what people do and we do pick up on those things but it's only Mm. on reflection that I kind of pull it out and, and kind of put words to it
0: yeah, no, no, it's it's a really good point. Because I was discussing with somebody the other day about um, starting, uh, so I've just started training, my training for the marathon and DeSalle next year. And uh, I was saying to her with my coach, one of the things that I really want to get to grips with is, I know that when I'm tired, I get stupid. And now I'm obviously (laughs) not stupid. Like I'm really, I know I'm not stupid, but it's just my way of saying I need to drill everything in so much so that I, because, you know, I've done stuff before where I haven't drunk for four hours because I thought something was wrong with my camelback. And actually I didn't tell anybody. And I just, you know, that way when you're Mm. going, it'll be fine. It'll Mm. be fine. And actually, yeah, really. Okay. I lived and I was, I was fine, but it it was not That's about <laughs> drilling your systems in
1: until they're just subconscious
0: exactly exactly mm. um and then i just was interested in what you said about the going the sleep thing that kind of gave me the fear like did that give you the fear afterwards did you think oh my god i could have died up there if someone hadn't pulled me out of that little cozy snow hole
1: <sighs> i suppose i can say that i think lots of things i've done i thought oh i could have died up there but it, mm. i didn't and i had my team with me who i trusted and I, and i was fine mm. so it it doesn't no it didn't
0: not afterwards no, no. it did
1: the only the, the one time that I've really kind of come off well there's perhaps been a couple but one time that comes to mind straight away is when I was on Mont Blanc with Erwin and we were on I think it was our second attempt for the summit and mm. we were climbing up an ice wall um and I was leading he was attached to me and I stabbed the crampons in, put my ice in and then I slipped and fell and I fell past him on the rope and then instead of him stopping me, I actually pulled him off. I managed to arrest myself but he was then falling so he fell past me and he pulled me off again and then (sighs) we both managed to arrest ourselves and it was dark. It was probably about four in the morning and we both lay there and I could hear my breathing and my heart rate. There was a massive crevasse under us and I just said, sorry about that and he said, that's okay and we carried on And it wasn't until later on in the car, we both had a moment and I was like, wow, that was, that was close. That really, you know, because that, yeah, that that was an accident and and we both got really lucky, I think. We both both knew what to do, but yeah, that was a a real, wow, I might not have made that.
0: Yeah. Well, amazing that you've actually, you said you had a couple, but that's the one that springs to mind. Amazing you've not had more given what you do, but then I was... Um I interviewed for the podcast a few months ago Geraldine Fastnacht who I'm sure you know or know of the the the, the she's a world champion former world champion snowboarder um oh, wingsuiter yeah. first woman to wingsuit off um the Matterhorn and stuff. Yeah. And she talks so differently about her what she does to how I imagined it. Mm. And, and uh, let me explain like she talks about it, it as in it's very much for her not about adrenaline seeking it's about communing with nature it's about feeling she gets says she gets the same feeling from her wingsuit as she does with the snowboard you know going Mm -hmm. with the air or the snow and I wondered how you know because you do a lot of adrenaline filled stuff and too much adrenaline is not brilliant for you and I wondered how how that related to you how you thought about that
1: I think when you asked me that question about you know it wouldn't be healthy to go into everything I do think I'm going to die doing this because obviously (laughs) every time I paraglide every time I ride a motorbike every time I climb a mountain there is that very real risk but I don't that's not what I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the freedom Mm. and sensation Mm. and the feeling and I suppose that I've done quite a lot of those things so it's not that the adrenaline isn't as big but it isn't as overwhelming because I'm mm. quite used to it. And actually, I use I use it a lot of the time to really focus me. So, you know, when I'm when when everything starts picking up the fears, picking up the adrenaline, picking up just before when I'm on takeoff with my paraglider, for example. Mm. I'm not thinking, oh, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I'm thinking, right, focus, squash. And I've got, you know, my heart's racing and it just, it focuses me like a laser on what I need to do. Mm. And in many ways, I think if I didn't have that, that's when I shouldn't be flying. That's when I shouldn't be doing these things because I'm mm. be- being a bit lapsed, you know, taking it for granted a bit. So I kind of try and use it in my favor to, well, I I don't try and use it. That's what I actually do. That's what I notice that yeah. I do. Um, but yeah, it's not, it isn't about, I don't say like I'm going after this I'm thrill-seeking I'm doing this it's about experiencing those incredible feelings that I tap into when I'm doing these things and it is about um, it's about feeling this incredible freedom and strength within yourself and just experiencing how beautiful and wonderful and amazing everything is and Mm -hmm. And almost, you know, you, I mean, it, it kind of, it sounds a bit hippy-dippy or woo-woo when I'm sort of saying it down here. You know, sometimes <laughs> when I talk about my emotions when I'm climbing high, you know, it's, it really, when I was on Everest, I, I talk about coming down from the summit. And if I think about it hard enough, I could get really, really quite emotional because mm-hmm. there was nothing else, like I always said, you know, with, with my mountaineering and, and with any sport particularly, it's a physical thing. Then it becomes a mental game. Um, Mm. and then beyond that I tapped I realized that once that had run out there was a next level and it was emotion and Mm. I'd on Everest I really found that because physically I was exhausted mentally I was done but emotionally all of a sudden it just kicked in and I just felt this overwhelming love for the people who loved Mm. me back home and the people that I wanted to get back to who I loved and honestly that is what brought me back down that is what gave me the next steps so it's it's a and and I think to be able to, you know, whenever I paraglide, whenever the, from that moment of taking off, it is such a amazing, wonderful experience. And you know, when I'm when I'm on a motorbike and, and you accelerate, I always think like the naught mm-hmm. to thirty is my favorite bit, that feeling <laughs> of being out in the elements and, and accelerating, it's just it's just amazing.
0: I love it. I totally love it. And you've you've used the word several times, the same word that she used, the freedom that's exactly the word that she used and that just that feeling of just sort of you know again a sort of slightly cliched but the natural high it's just that oh I could do anything and I felt it I felt it you know as you say when you have you feel like you've got nothing left to give mm. and yet you know I remember coming doing the Petrouille de Glacier, you know the the, the ski yeah. engineering race yeah. from Zermatt to Verbier and I'd always I'd wanted to do it so that I could run the length of Verbier, my home resort with my kids holding my hand and and I and I came to the uh, end of the ski slope and I could barely stand up in my boots I was so done and and there were my kids waiting and I still had a kilometer to run down the road and just and I was broken I was physically and as you say mentally absolutely broken Mm. and yet I just I was I'm doing it I'm doing it I've done the thing I've been visualizing for 10 years (laughs) and there's my kids and then everybody it felt to me like everyone I knew was out cheering and roaring and then when I look at the pictures like nearly everybody had gone home because we weren't exactly fast but (laughs) but I love that I hadn't really thought of it like that but I and now that you say it I'm like yep I recognize that
1: And I think the other thing is, is like life is so full of stuff and it all seems really important and there's so much going on and you're so busy and it can, there's a lot of pressures. And the thing that I love about the sports that I do is when I'm doing them, I, I can't afford the time or space to think about anything Mm, else. Yeah. So it, it simplifies everything and it, and it's and it's really a wonderful thing to just i've just got to focus on surviving yeah. and that's you know that's the goal and it takes away everything else and it gives you such an amazing perspective on what matters and what doesn't matter yeah. and 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 also you know like in everyday life we start worrying about what people think or haven't done this haven't done that and then to have something that takes you out of that and show you what's really important i think just gives you a really kind of grounded calming feeling mm. And allows you to get on with your day in a different way.
0: Do you ever feel it's like a meditation in ways?
1: Do you know what I mean by hmm, that? Because I, Definitely, yeah. When, when I'm like, when I got my head down and I'm in the mountains and I'm covering distance, it's absolutely a meditation. Yeah. Just
0: because I feel yeah. like I... I absolutely hate rock climbing, even though the fact I've, I've done it for quite a long time, I've now finally hung up my boots because it <laughs> it just fries me too much. But the only thing I used to get out of mountain of rock climbing was that, that while I was on the rock, I, I didn't think about anything else, not yeah, a single, a single <laughs> like not even on purpose. Like there was only, yeah. the, there was nothing else could get into my brain because I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but I used to come off the rock going, Well, I'm fried, but wow, I feel yeah. like this weight has gone in some ways. Because you just like your mind is emptied of everything. Um, so I was oh gosh, so many things. So good. Um, I was interested, you said something back there, and I can't remember what is exactly you said, but it made me wonder about I've heard such a lot in the narrative recently of, you know, women adventuring sort of, not versus men, but doing things slightly differently and the sort of the conquering, being a sort of a male construct. But you've done quite, you know, the sort of, you know, you've been up Everest and you've broken world records and sort of things that are quite, you know, that you kind of, you know, they are the sort of the big adventures. Do you think that women, in your experience, do you think that women go about, even though it's the same adventure, do you think they go about it differently? Am I does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean I can only speak from my personal perspective, but yeah, I mean I, I think definitely, like I you know, that that whole mountaineering thing. Like I, I approach I approach mountains differently to men, definitely. Mm. And I think I think it's good to acknowledge that actually we are different. Mm. You know, we can we can and we should all be given the same opportunities and that kind of thing, but we are actually we're we're different, yeah. you know, male and female, we're very different. And um I think because I grew up on a farm mm. and, you know, I was under the shadow of my uncle quite a lot, I was used to having a, a male dominance, mm. you know, I was, I was used to that. So it didn't, and because I was quite a tomboy, it didn't really phase me. So when I went into mountaineering and, and I was one of the only girls and same with paragliding, you know, there weren't many women, I was kind of quite used to it. So I didn't really question it and it didn't necessarily have the same effect on me, but certainly having seen more of it it's a very real uh issue i suppose and i can see that a lot of women would be put off where i didn't even think about Mm. it fortunately for me um but you know on one of the mountains my when i did chow Oyu, um Mm -hmm. my first eight thousand meter peak we were all the team had met for the first time there was 19 of us I wow. think and there was two two women mm-hmm. three women and one of the guys um looked me up and down and he said you don't look like you can climb a mountain Ugh. and I mean he was he was a strong powerful guy and I just thought what a strange thing to say but I didn't it didn't upset me uh-huh. it
0: didn't,
1: but I just thought I can't believe he just said that yeah. to me and then I took great delight when I summited and he didn't <laughs> the party afterwards when we'd all come back down from the mountain making a beeline for him and having a good chat with him Uh I just thought you know wow what a thing to even think that you could say you know it's like just the most normal thing in the world and and it and it is there but I just think I think the important thing is you know it's if you can see it then you can be it and and I think as a woman doing these things I just want to share my experience but not just for the girls for for boys Mm -hmm. as well and men and, and women alike but yeah it's um it's definitely a thing, but I think less and less. I mean, you know, talking about Elspeth, when she did what she did, I mean, it was just unbelievable yeah. what she did as a woman. And, I mean, her journey was
0: incredibly diffic- difficult because of it. And that's, I think it's changed massively. Yeah, yeah no, it's just, I think actually you, you've reminded me, it was when you said you went to Akankagua and you didn't have summiting as your sort of primary goal. That's what I remembered thinking, and I wondered. Obviously, you know that might change with depending on the on the expedition. But you know, there's, it's more about pushing yourself, discovering what you can do.
1: Yeah, women are a bit just. In, I'm generalising yeah. now. Women are less bothered, I think, about the kind of ego side and and having to prove it. And I think some men, I think it's it's not that they even do it on purpose it's kind of that's it's society that puts mm-hmm. it on us that you'll go and do that like they expect you know the expectation is that if you're going to climb a mountain that you'll get to the top so it's not actually everybody's fault for thinking no. that that's what they're going to do um but definitely i've i think it's i think also for men the bigger and stronger they are yeah. the more pressure there is for yeah. them because there's that expectation so in some ways being being a girl has
0: its advantages because the expectations are less, you know, the pressures are less, which is kind of annoying in itself. But it yes. is a bit of an advantage, as you say, it can be. But it,
1: yeah, but it can. I just, I suppose it's just one of the things. I'm just sort of thinking about it now as we're chatting about mm. it.
0: Because um, I was wondering, uh, because sometimes when people listen to my podcast, they say to me, "Oh, I can't really." you know, I, ugh, all these amazing sporting women. I mean, it's really amazing and all that, but it's not something that I want to do, or it's not something that I think I ever could do. Like, I don't get what drives them. And I, I am always kind of at pains to say, I'm not just interviewing these amazing women because they've done all these um, amazing things. It's, it's to show that whatever you want to do, that's amazing can be amazing. Am I making any sense at all? And I think it's something I read in your website as well that, you know, people don't have to climb Everest or row the Atlantic or do it's just whatever is something that floats your boat exactly
1: just just do it and do it with passion and find the thing that you love if you can because it's fantastic like quite a lot of my friends are just not into this sort of thing at mm-hmm. all and they talk about having a nice nap and a piece of cake <laughs> and then following it up with sitting on the settee and watching something on television you know followed by an early night and we laugh and joke about uh-huh. it and and they have completely different interests and you know i've got another friend who she's not sporty at all but my gosh she's a successful career woman mm. you know and and it's just I, i've got I've got so much admiration for her, and what she's achieved is incredible, but she's just she doesn't think it's spectacular because she's just doing her thing yeah. you know and that that's her life um so I think it's yeah w- whatever it is and so
0: do you give do you what do you say to people what do you you know do you give talks on this sort of thing you know just finding your sense of adventure or something that makes you feel fulfilled or what what is it that you advise that you give to people who maybe say well, I couldn't do that or i'm not even interested
1: yeah i the thing that I, I generally say is, is what I did when I when I haven't known what to do I just try and do things that as many things as possible that interest me or sound okay because I think it's really easy to work out what you don't like mm. and then just, just kind of work backwards so try lots of things do lots of things expose yourself to books people you wouldn't necessarily expose yourself to Um, and then just see how it feels and what it's like you know we're all guilty of it you know we get in a rut with our likes and dislikes and we think we know ourselves and it's not until um you know sometimes somebody shows us something different we're like oh wow I didn't I didn't even realize that I'd like that yeah exactly and I think the other thing is sometimes it's it's you don't have to constantly be achieving you know I got the, I get, and I still get it, what's next, what's next, what's next? And and it was quite difficult after Everest because what's next? Well, there is no higher mountain. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I was like, well, um, you know, I kind of did it when I, when I did it because I was 30. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any responsibilities, no kids. I wasn't in a relationship, and I just thought now's the time. Mm-hmm. And it's because I didn't want to do it later on because I thought, oh, you know, I can I can calm down after this a bit, you know, doesn't <laughs> it? But to everybody else, it's like, oh, it's got to be bigger and better. Mm-hmm. Or, but they didn't say that, but that was kind of yeah. what I – took from it and and I think sometimes you know it's not even about the next thing it's just about being content with your life like are you happy doing what you're doing yes get on with it and enjoy it do you want to find something that drives you and pushes you then 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 try and find it but I think you know like you talk about lockdown as a new mum it was quite interesting for me because everybody was talking about all this spare time and what they were (laughs) going to do but actually I didn't have a single moment of spare time because and and same for any parent or Mm. you know people some people's world didn't you know suddenly open up with all this time so actually I just kind of carried on doing what I was doing but it was made a little bit more difficult because obviously things were so limited Mm -hmm. um and I just think you know I one, one of my other friends she's not really she did a lot of stuff when she was younger she was a world champion when she's a she was wow. 18 and she's so comfortable in her own skin and you know people sort of say things to her about "Oh, what about this what about that and she's just like yeah I just want to have fun and laugh as much as possible mm. you know her, her main aim in life is laughing as much as possible and I just think what a brilliant thing to aim for yeah. and to be doing no you know I, I I love my friends and I love having a good time and I think sometimes you don't have to climb mountains or swim oceans or learn a language or do anything as long as, you know, if you're okay and you're a good person, you're happy and you love people or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, then, then, then just enjoy it and, or try to. And I think that we all have seasons, don't we? You know, I think, I think it's quite, it's quite healthy to think of, to think of life like that. You know, there's a time when I've got um, this, this lady that I know, she had this amazing enterprise business and um, it was, she she created this um it was a house that she owned and she turned it into mm. like a therapy center and she did loads for the community and in the end, she had to close the doors because she'd spent all her money and it hadn't made the money. And I, I was like, it was a business looking at figures, purely figures, it had failed. And she wrote a book about it. And I remember reading the book and coming away thinking it was just so amazing because she talked about it as, as a beautiful apple tree that had blossomed, given off this beautiful fruit. People had enjoyed the fruit and eaten it. And then the tree had kind of, it had, it had died and rotted and gone back into the ground and would become something else. And I thought, And she said, you know, it doesn't always have to be that next year there's a bigger harvest and a bigger harvest and a bigger harvest. Like things have their season and they do good and then they move on. And I just thought that is really important and good to know. That is brilliant like you know sometimes like I'm constantly pushing and I'm constantly wanting to be better and actually you know like we have a winter everything goes to ground it doesn't look beautiful it doesn't look amazing you know and sometimes we put on a bit of weight we don't feel great and then spring comes and and we find the spring in our step and we become better and I have to remind myself of that a lot you know we we, we have seasons and we move through things and sometimes we're motivated and sometimes we're not and and sometimes it's not a week or a month it can be a year or two and and it's it's really i give myself a break in that way and i think that's quite helpful
0: that is helpful and has being a mum has that changed or has that uh, sort of uh, exacerbated that if that's not the right word but you know a mum a new mum and a new mum in lockdown has that sort of kind of enforced a little bit of that yeah
1: you? i mean it's i mean having kip has blown my world to pieces <laughs> in the best way but spectacularly
0: mm.
1: you know so much changed i mean i i always imagined myself being the kind of pregnant mum that ran up until the moment I went into labour <laughs> I, I don't know if you know but I, I was um I had a few complications and I ended up being put on bed rest oh ah, yes quite early on I saw that and and she was born very mm-hmm. early and then she came two months <sighs> early and and you know so I kind of I got pregnant my work stopped because obviously my work was going out doing all these things and you know I was, I was on bed rest then unfortunately the, my partner and I separated and lots of things happened. And so, so many things in my world Mm. changed and it was so much to deal with. And I I literally, I thought to myself, Squash you've climbed Everest. You've got to see this as like an expedition and you've just got to knuckle down. What have you got to do? You've got to survive, right? What does that entail? And and for the first six weeks of her life, when she was in hospital, I literally got through it by viewing it like an Everest expedition. It was like, you've got to look after yourself because you've got to be all right to look after her. Mm. And, And I had my routines and my systems. And I suppose when I came out, there was there was a lot of moving and and all sorts of things going on. But I, I just I've had to really knuckle down and and just get through
0: mm.
1: and and do that. And you know, people are asking me what I am doing. And, well, I am bringing my daughter up. Yeah. You know, it's, it's full on. It's everything, and I am putting everything I've got into it in the same way I would have done an expedition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's it's just it's it's wonderful, and I, I adore it. It's just a completely different type of of
0: yeah. I mean, that must have been really, that must have been very hard. You know, it sounds like you coped admirably. but <laughs> That was an thing. I can, I can honestly say Everest is a complete walk in the park.
1: And when people think I'm amazing climbing Everest, I say, just look at every mm. single mother on the planet. They're amazing.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, well, not every single mother on the planet has to spend six weeks in an EQ. Uh, that sounds like a very uh, tough gig, I have to say. And so, what's is there next? Is there? I see you're talking at uh, speaking at a, a, a festival. Is that right in September? Mm. Yeah, I'm really excited yeah. about that. Actually, it's my first mm. kind of
1: booked um, talk that's actually outside with people. Yeah, I can't wait. It's um, Well Energy Festival. It's the beginning of September. It's a new thing. Mm-hmm. It's a um, it's over a weekend. And you buy a ticket, basically, and you can get access to lots of different speakers. They've got yoga tents. They've got it's a family thing as well. Mm -hmm. They've got food, music, all kinds of things. Where is it? Um, It's down in Oxford. Mm -hmm. Um, If you go onto my Instagram, you can you can find links to Mm -hmm. it. Um, It's all on there. But I'm really looking forward to actually going and speaking at it and being there and seeing other speakers and seeing other people. I'm going to take Kit with me.
0: And what's the sort of thing you'll be talking on? What, what is your theme? So I,
1: I tell my story. Mm. Um, I talk about basically how, how it came that I, cl- I climbed Everest and, and things that I've done along the way. And and lessons that I've learned, really. And then Mm -hmm. I I kind of tailor it and tweak it depending on who I'm speaking to, whether it's a school (laughs) audience or a corporate audience and and what age and that kind of thing. But obviously, my my story is my story and that that doesn't change. So,
0: yeah, I just share my journey. Amazing. And how did you go? And we kind of skipped through a whole world of amazing things there to this. But how did you go from then, you know, sort of climbing Everest to... Ending up riding your bike through South America, making a documentary and stuff. And when did it become like a living or your your job? How did that come about? Did it just um, gradually, you think, oh, yeah, I'm quite good at this.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> no, no, I didn't think that. But <laughs> I, I kind of, I to- a lot of people were sort of saying to me, oh, you should do this, you should do that. But I didn't really know how. I didn't know how to do what I was doing as my passion, turn it into a living. Mm. And, and when I first started climbing mountains, I was working, I was doing ski seasons in the Alps and I was funding it all myself. And then I started to work with a sports photographer. I was, I was working in a bar one ski season and, and the photographer was staying at the hotel and he said, um, I need... Um, a model on the mountain to do a shoot with Mm -hmm. and he said and I was free in the day because I was working in the bar at night so I went out with him and he said to me that I could use the photos that we'd taken I couldn't I couldn't have the rights I couldn't have them published but I could use them if I wanted to try and get sponsorship I thought, okay then so I I, I took these photos that I'd I'd taken with Dave and um I I showed them to a few it was Salomon and Sunto I found out that they were both under the same umbrella in the uk mm-hmm. and, I, and i approached them and it, that's that's when i got my first sponsorship i, I got kick sponsorship has different levels obviously the first thing is you get a discount on things mm-hmm. then you get the kit for free and then you get paid to wear it mm. um, so i kind of in that time i was getting the kit for free which was brilliant it was such yeah. a massive help and obviously being associated with brands like salomon and sunto and rab was was fantastic and and yeah. i genuinely loved them and wore them anyway so it was it was an easy an easy sell for me you know i could yeah. easily talk about them and, and promote them because I, I believed in it and loved their products um so that's how that started so i was getting sponsorship but obviously that's not a living yeah um, and then when I climbed Everest, I did try and get sponsorship, and I got some, but ultimately, and I ended up taking a loan out for it. But mm. I had to pay it back, and I, I thought to myself, I'm either going to make a career out of this and pay it back, or I've got, I'm going to have to get a, a job. I'm going to have to really like have a serious think about how I'm going to pay this back. Yeah, and I got, I was contacted to do a talk, and it just, it just went, and I just thought, this is, this is, I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm mm. going to keep pushing it, and and I was, I was fortunate in that I didn't really have to. Go out and give loads of free talks or sell my talks. They kind of every talk I did led to another talk, led to another talk, led to another talk, and it just it kept fueling and, ke- and that's when it started to grow. And I just it took me four years to pay the loan back, but I did. Well and done. that's <laughs> when I did. yeah, thank you. And and every every week that's gone by since I climbed Everest, I've I've supported myself with it. Wow. So it's kind of and it's it's not easy, and and I've had to make you know I've had to make choices. I've got friends that are. You know, well up on the property ladder, they've got Mm -hmm. nicer cars, all that sort of thing. But you know, I made different choices and I I chose experiences over that sort of thing, and and it was great at the time. And I think, I think you know, just it's it's like as you go as you go on a journey, you just have to course correct and change things, don't you? And and I've been doing that, and I've I've been fortunate and lucky. And obviously, with with lockdown and Corona, instantly my work got shut down because when I got pregnant, I thought to myself, right, I'm 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 going to have to rely on the speaking for a while because. The, I knew the expeditions were going to take a back seat because for me personally, I had no intention once Kit was born of going away and leaving her for weeks at a time. It mm-hmm. just didn't didn't feel it wasn't something that I wanted to do mm. um so I thought, well, that's fine because I can just I can speak, I can definitely get the speaking going, and that'll be great for a while till I'm ready to start doing other things and then of course, all that closed down, I was like, mm, right, but <laughs> like I like a lot of people, you know it's um you have to get imaginative and do different things and and yeah. obviously now it's all starting to open back up again, which is great.
0: I was just interested when you give your talks and, you know, cause the, the thing about, you know, people have got their story and you just said, Oh, I, I tweak it, but it's essentially my story. Do you ever, get, I always wonder this about um, uh, singers on stage as well. And, and then please don't take this personally because it's absolutely the furthest thing from boring in the world, but do you ever bore yourself <laughs> with your own story? Like, I wonder yeah. like people just going, Oh my God, I am so embarrassed. I've told this like 50 times. Surely someone must've heard this already.
1: <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I very much get that. And I just think I I can't believe that, people actually are interested and want to hear it and that it's still interesting to people I got a message last night on my Instagram actually and this girl said I've followed you for years I've been to a few of your talks and and I first of all I was just shocked and I Uh I was like wow that's so lovely and it still shocks me that people are interested (laughs) to do it and and I actually had um, somebody say to me once squash it's called brand fatigue because you see your Mm. brand and your story all the time yeah you you get tired of it but other people just they they don't and they still like it and I just have to trust that and believe it you know I'm still getting bookings, people Still seem to react well to it, and and so yeah. But yeah, I do. I do stand up and think, oh, you know, I'm I'm still telling the same story. But then, of course, I'm still telling the same story. Like it's not going to change. I'm going to ask, but 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 you know what? The the lessons. The lessons, actually, they're still as powerful and, and, and they're still as valid. It doesn't matter mm. if it's a week old or 50 years old. You know, it's a bit like going back to Elspeth. You know, she, she kept her story quiet for 30 years. But yeah. it's, it's as powerful, if not more powerful now.
0: Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I, and I don't
1: think it's got a sell-by date on it. You know, the lessons that I learned that I use every day, I, I believe that there's valuable stuff there forever.
0: And what's one of the most valuable ones? What's the one that people most say to you, oh, i that? that really inspired me or I went off and did something because of this thing that you said?
1: I think it's just about the uh, believing in yourself. Not, uh, I, 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 um, I rode my motorbike to the foot of Mont Blanc. I climbed mm-hmm. it and flew off the top. And yeah. I didn't know at the time, but afterwards I found out I was the first British woman to do it. So it got quite a lot of attention that trip did. Mm-hmm. And I think what was really important about that was every, well, not everybody, but a lot of people Um, said to me that I was mad and crazy and it was ridiculous and I shouldn't do it and Mm. I think one of the big things is not listening to all that and believing in yourself and going for your dreams however ridiculous they seem because even if you don't quite reach it you'll get somewhere and it's just so important to do it for yourself and to just put and the biggest thing I think is just putting one foot in front of the other and going for it you know don't give up and yes. just keep pushing, it. and you can do far more than you realise that you're capable of. And you're only going to find your limits by pushing them. Yeah,
0: yes. Well, you're my second Everest summiteer to say almost exactly that in a in a space of about a month. I'm, I want to come on to the last thing, in, but I want to hear about just riding your bike through South America because that just sounds amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. So th- through various different things I did, I, um, I was contacted by um, some producers in the States and they had this idea to do this adventure travel documentary, which involved me riding 3000 miles through South America on a BMW, mm-hmm. um, which was absolutely incredible. And on, on the way what we did was we stopped off with different athletes, typically Red Bull athletes and did their sport, got involved in it, did some adventures with them and then I'd carry on riding. Um, And it it was just wonderful. It was absolutely amazing. And unfortunately, well, it's still still ongoing. There was a problem with the production company. I mean, television's very, Mm. it was so exciting and so amazing. Yeah. And it was all going to happen and and it's still not actually been shown, but it's Mm. there. And I'm hopeful that one day things will get resolved and it'll come out because obviously I don't I don't own the footage but we did some a world record we did some amazing stuff and but I just feel incredibly fortunate that I got to do that journey and one of the countries that we went through was Peru and I just that country just blew me away and it it was wonderful and I'd love to go back there what did you love about it it was so magical and it was just a feeling it was the energy the people I I can't really describe it more than that. We were in Cusco, and we were out one night, and I just it just felt incredible. And when we were we were riding, we went we went into kind of the out the, the wilderness, I suppose. And we went and met a shaman, mm. oh a shaman. I'm not I'm never sure how to pronounce that. And <laughs> and I had a reading with him, and it was quite weird because all the cameras were there and everything. But this guy, it just you know, I could, I could feel it. Something felt like I'd never felt before, and, and he actually said to me, he he started his his thing with, he said, "Squash, you are actually freer than the word freedom." Ooh. He said, "Yeah," he said that about my spirit, and it was just, and that's how I felt at the time. I just felt so unbelievably free. And it yeah, it just really moved me. And it's it's the people that you meet, isn't it? Yeah, oh,
0: Absolutely. You
1: no, know, that that's who make the journey. I often say that I could go out for a night out in a cardboard box with my best friends and have the best <laughs> night
0: ever. <Yes. laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's so true. I uh, how one that sounds amazing. Well, if it's any consolation, um, you know Mark Beaumont the around the world cyclist. Yeah. Well, he cycled back into Paris after breaking the world record, what, twenty seventeen? Mm-hmm. And his his uh, documentary's only just been released about six weeks ago
1: right so
0: have faith because <laughs> yeah. I, I know he had similar frustrations of going ah, oh, the footage is all there it's all there and yet like I can't do anything about it
1: <laughs> so many people who've said that and you know I'm, I'm actually still talking to the guys at the, and and I'm I'm hopeful that that things will come out because it was wonderful it was amazing uh, how cool. it, it really was
0: so, um, so that, uh, oh, just amazing. I could talk to you forever. I, as the, at the same time I'm talking to you, I'm looking at your website going, Oh God, that looks amazing. Oh God, that looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask you, uh, you have set me a particularly amazing challenge, Katie. Tell us all about that. Yeah.
1: So uh, when you asked me to think about that, I thought, oh, this is is really interesting. And I I thought of a few
0: different things, Mm. um, including climbing Mont Blanc. (laughs) But then I thought, no, I've got to be a bit... Have you you climbed it, actually? No, I haven't. But my husband is uh, on a mission. He's about six away from climbing all the 4,000-meter peaks in Switzerland. He's about 60 into the 80 in Europe or something. And I said... I would, because one of my biggest regrets in life, I don't have too many, but one is that when my dad did his final Monroe, he invited all the people that had asked, had climbed a Monroe with him to go and join him for his last one. Mm -hmm. And I had never done one with him because I did not like walking up hills in those days. (laughs) And so I thought I would be really sad if you know, a repeat of this, my husband yeah. got to his final thing and I hadn't done at least one with him. So I did do a couple last year, but I thought Mont Blanc, I don't like technical stuff, but he said Mont Blanc like it's mostly just a mind over matter one foot in front of the other yeah so it's already on the list but that's kind of a fairly massive challenge Katie (laughs) so that's on there and um I
1: got asked in an interview what my perfect day would look like and I one of my things is I love combining the different things that I do into Mm. one thing and I said a perfect day would be to hike up a mountain to fly back down to a mountain lake and then mm. swim in it. Mm. So a, a freezing cold lake and because it's so exhilarating, wonderful. And then have the evening, you know, having some food or a barbecue, you know, with friends or something yeah. like that. So I thought that would be a good one. And obviously, if you're not a paraglider pilot, you could perhaps find a tandem pilot to go and do it. I know,
0: I know the very boys, there are twins who live near us. They're, they're, they're tandem pilots. Um, Perfect. So, so, you've, got, so yes. you've
1: got to hike up to take off. That's part yes. of the
0: deal. Roger that. <laughs> hike up,
1: fly down and then,
0: Well, I may have to hike up. I was just thinking about it because I I did know about this. So often I don't know what the challenge is before I'm told on the podcast, but I did know about yours. So I was talking to the kids about it because they were like, yeah, mommy, that's so cool. And um, my last guest has asked me to make a short adventure film. So I'm thinking I'm going to combine the two and make it into like a little tiny mini documentary of my day out in the mountains. But I think I'm going to have to hike up, then do the lake because the lake is up at the top. And then fly off and have dinner or oh, lunch. Wonderful. <laughs> so I accept. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the film. Yeah. So I just, and the kids are like, yeah, well then we have to come too. Cause if we're helping with the editing and the, we'll have to fly too. And I'm like, oh, this is going to get expensive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. That sounds like an amazing challenge. I accept okay. with pleasure. I will attempt that at some point. Uh, Once the weather is not so minging again, Uh, but yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, Where can we find out about more what's going on? Website, social media, where's, where do you hang out? So everything's squash
1: falconer. So my website is squash and it's F A L C O N E R. My Instagram squash falconer, Twitter and Facebook.
0: Excellent. (laughs) Uh, Twitter as well. Okay, cool. And which, where are you mostly? Uh,
1: Instagram probably. Yeah.
0: all right well thank you oh my word so exciting to talk to you i love i just love following your adventures and thank you i like i like hearing your own take on it but i also love so much to hear just so many similarities with sort of uh, amazing mountain other mountain women i've spoken to that just sort of that feeling of freedom and the intense emotion that it sort of brings in, in into your life i love that and so thank you very much Thank you. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.